Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Greetings, friends and neighbors, and welcome. Welcome to this week's roundtable, looking back on another week of nonstop breaking news. It's around 8.30 a.m. on Friday, December 13, just hours before the House Judiciary Committee and a straight partisan vote will undoubtedly adopt two articles of impeachment against President Donald J. Trump and send them to the floor for a full vote by the House next week. Assuming the House does vote to impeach Trump, it looks like the only question in the Senate is, not will the Senate vote to acquit or impeach, but how long will the trial last? Meanwhile, the Inspector General of the Justice Department says the FBI had every good reason to launch an investigation into the Donald Trump campaign back in 2016, but Attorney General Bill Barr and President Donald Trump disagree. And on the 2020 front, Michael Bloomberg spending more money than any candidate ever in history, but will it get him any votes? And Democratic candidates prepare to take the stage for the last debate of 2019. Here to try to make some sense of it all, Pema Levy's political reporter for Mother Jones. Pema, hi. Good morning. Nice to see you. Leah Skarnam is the editor of The Great Hotline at the National Journal. Hi, Leah. Good morning. New job. Congratulations. Thank you. And Jason Dick, editor of... Deputy editor, Deputy sorry, editor, yes. of Roll Call. We I want call to get him that. number two. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, Jason. Thank Good you. to see you too, Bill. Hey, let's uh, do something different for a change and not start with impeachment. What about Boris Johnson? Landslide victory. At, at people said it was going to be close. He might even get dumped. It turned out to be just the opposite. What's that all mean? Jason? Uh, I mean, it, it was a little surprising to me considering how close, I mean, it, you know, the right before the vote on Wednesday, some of the polling showed that there was a tightening that, I mean, that the conservatives were still going to yeah. pull it out, but, you know, that it just went sort of the opposite way. It was almost like a 2018, you know, house, you know, sort of results. It was, it was beyond what like anybody really thought. Um, Kind of surprising. I mean, it sounds like Brexit's going to get done now. They have a clear majority. Cor Jeremy Corbyn is going to, you know, he's done. Uh, yeah, he, he's 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 out of there. Um, but it it, it sh perhaps shouldn't be surprising because the you know the the Labour Party has been so fractured. I mean, really, the the Liberal Democrats in Britain are kind of the 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 Tony Blair wing of of labor and and so it was you know when you, when you combine the new the liberal Dems and the labor vote you actually get just a teeny bit more than conservatives mm. and that's the tale of the election and Pema Corbyn was a lousy leader yeah that's my understanding <laughs> <laughs> I mean seemed it every time yeah no absolutely I mean I feel like you know I think back what more three and a half years to when they had this fateful Brexit vote, right? And you know, once again, Corbyn was sort of, um, you know, the face of Labour and making a mess of things. And they've kept him around this entire time. They have another momentous vote that can shape uh, where Brexit goes if it happens. And he's at at the front of it, and it goes terribly. So 
uh, you know, that's that's giving someone a long time to prove themselves, I think a little too long. Right, yeah. I don't know, uh, Leah, whether you saw the Boris Johnson ads or any of the ads, but... No, I've been, so, I mean, full disclosure, what I've been focused on is American <laughs> Well, Boris, um, Boris Johnson is an American. He was born in New York. Thank you. Uh, That's a good point. Um, what I have seen, and I don't want to, one of our reporters is writing about this this morning, um, there's a lot of Twitter right now going on about the correlations between what's happening in the United States and yeah, in Britain. Yeah. And I do think that it's worth looking into that. I also know as a political reporter that it's incredibly frustrating when I've been focused on an individual race for months or years. And once it all ends up happening the way it happens, um, other folks come in and decide that, uh, they can kind of handicap the race in a way that I, I think the best example is Kentucky, right? That's what I'm really talking about. The Kentucky gubernatorial race, um, where Andy Bashir won. Uh, he had been ahead for, for months, and after he won, a lot of politicos decided that Amy McGrath then had a chance to win the Senate and in Kentucky. Um, if you looked at if people who focused on the race knew that what it actually meant was that John Bell Edwards had a chance in Louisiana. So I would just encourage folks to take a step back, wait for, you know, the people who have been focused on this to mm -hmm. get through the kind of like demographic changes, because it does seem like it can tell us a lot about what we should expect in 2020. Right. All right. So let's get to impeachment. We uh, can, I think, safely assume that by the time this podcast makes the air, probably the House Judiciary Committee will have voted on two articles of impeachment. Pamela, why only two articles? I mean, certainly Donald Trump's done lots of impeachable stuff. Did the Democrats make a mistake by making it so narrow? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think that this is something that they really wrestled with. And, you know, I sort of, you know, go back and forth in my, you know, personal handicapping of, you know, were I Speaker Pelosi, what would I do in this moment? And I, I totally understand the arguments for both sides here. Uh, on the one hand, you have Pelosi who wants to make sure that, you know, there's artic all the articles pass, <laughs> that she doesn't harm um, her, her moderates uh, who are in tough districts who want to vote for this. And, you know, and it doesn't look good when you put up a bunch of articles and then only one or two pass, right? You sort of weaken the whole case. On the other hand, uh, you know, I understand where Chairman Nadler was coming from when he basically argued, like, look, we've got a pattern of, of facts here. We've got some really egregious um, behavior when it comes to obstruction of justice um, of the Mueller investigation. Uh, and and we, that shouldn't that should matter. Right. We should look back on this in history and say, you know, that behavior didn't just evaporate, didn't just go anywhere. Um, and so I think I think it's a tough call. You know, the reporting is that Nancy Pelosi struggled with it. And I. I just think time will tell. Right. Um, we saw a lot of theater in the last couple of days in the House Judiciary Committee. A lot of boring theater. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I? I mean, like the, the, yeah. this. I mean, a lot of screaming yeah. and all that. But did it ever? Did it amount to anything? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it, it really. Did. I mean, the, you know, there are fairly specific. Uh, procedures that are spelled out for how you conduct an impeachment inquiry and a vote. And they followed it to the letter. You know, it was this strange sort of spectacle, like late at night, where after all day long, the Republicans um, criticizing everything that Gerald Nadler had done, uh, you know, a lot of them said, like, 
I want to thank you for being so fair to us and to following the letter of the rules of the committee, like including James Sensenbrenner, the crankiest man on the planet, uh, you know, and a former judiciary chairman, a former house manager yeah. during the Clinton impeachment inquiry. You know, he, he thanked Nadler for being even handed and then launched into yet another harangue about how this was all BS and just an attempt to overturn the 2016 election, blah, 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 blah. At one point, I mean, I really did feel that you could have watched, you know, maybe a half hour or an hour in the morning and if you had not knowing not following it as closely as we do turned back in at like 10 o'clock at night and seen and you, you would have thought that you would they were it was a rerun yeah like, because they were saying almost the same exact thing same people saying the same things well leo you specialize in these polls the last poll i saw 48 percent of the american people want to impeach to say donald trump should be impeached and about the same number say he should not be right i mean I so think did these this hearing move that needle at all I don't think so. I think it further polarizes the country, but that's it's, it's already pretty polarized, so how much more room is there for movement? Uh, I think it will depend on what congressional district, what Senate race we're talking about to figure out what the electoral consequences are. Um, in some districts, impeachment's going to hurt Democrats. In other districts, it's going to help Democrats. Um, it just depends on where kind of the coalitions are, are forming. Uh, but I don't think what we saw yesterday was an example of anyone trying to change anyone's mind. I think at this point, it seems like persuasion is no longer the goal. It seems like it's ginning up enthusiasm, and maybe that means turnout at some point. So with all the, with all the people speaking and making their best case, knowing they're on national television, um, it, it, it's hard to focus on any one moment. But um, I thought Eric Swalwell kind of summed things up for the Democrats are making their case, trying to say, look, this is all about, let's just, all the fog out of the way, this is about Donald Trump using the office of the presidency for his personal gain. Here's a little bit of Eric Swabaugh. Mr. Goldman, who sent Rudy Giuliani to Ukraine to smear Joe Biden? Uh, President Trump. Who fired the anti-corruption ambassador in Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich? President Trump. <laughs> who told Ambassador Sondland and Ambassador Volker to root to work with Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine? President Trump. Uh, you get Who told <laughs> Vice President you get, Pence you get not go to President here. Zelensky's inauguration? Um, President the Democrats, Trump. Did the Democrats make their case? His own chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. You know, I think, you know, speaking about... Thank that, you, Congressman. That was from a couple days ago. That wasn't yeah, from, right. from yesterday. Sorry. Yeah, right. Right, and so, you know, I think that, you know, a situation like that, like, that's a strong moment. Uh, for sure, for their case. I think, you know, where there's potentially backsliding, and I, I agree with, with Leah and Jason, I don't think that yesterday really moved anything. But look, every time there's chaos and every time it looks like a partisan bickering match, the Republicans win, right? That's what they want, right? Democrats want what we just heard. They want mm -hmm. a sober, you know, recitation of the facts because they are trying to put out that they are doing a sober, you know, um, look at, at misconduct, and Republicans want a crazy partisan witch hunt, and it's chaos, and oh my gosh, oh, it went on for 12 hours. You know, so look, like, you know, default, when the Republicans can make it look like that, then they win the day. Right. Um, there was some criticism ahead of time, Jason, that uh, Jerry Nadler would not be up to the task here. Uh, and I, I think it's fair to say he's not as effective a chairman as, as Adam Schiff is, but last night the Republicans were clearly trying to drag it out so that they would vote at midnight, 
And about 10 o'clock, Jerry Nadler says, I got your game. Boom, we'll vote tomorrow. Yep. Uh, and that was my favorite moment, I think, of the day, actually, <laughs> like in, in, in encapsulating it. Uh, and, and, you know, immediately Doug Collins, the ranking member um, uh, from, from Georgia, he shot up and said, like, you're really messing with everybody's schedules, which really just sort of hammered home the fact that, like, Congress usually doesn't work a five-day work week, uh, that they were they wanted, they wanted had to get back home so they could, you know, attend to their fundraisers or whatever. And, you know, it, it just... Holiday it, parties. Yeah, yeah, the holiday parties, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, it really, I, I kind of loved that because it was one of the few times that Nadler has just sort of so, said, yeah. you know, enough. All right, children, we'll, we'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know, like, and you're, and you're not going to get recess either. You know, <laughs> it, it really, it, Leah and I both were teachers uh, and, and we, you know, we, we relish those moments when we can actually like throw down the hammer because they don't really happen that often. Right. I feel like yesterday I had more teaching flashbacks than I've had in the last couple of years combined. All right. So Leah, we moved to the Senate. Uh, early in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's now the question is, we've heard Republicans, some Republicans, well, the, the White House once seems to want a full trial, circus, all kinds of witnesses and, and drag it on and on. Uh, and some Republicans say, no, 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 let's get the damn thing over with. Lindsey Graham, for example, has said this is not good to drag it up for anybody. Um, so what's Mitch McConnell going to do? Um, the this is supposedly a jury to listen to the evidence and then decide. Uh, Mitch McConnell decided yesterday he's going to let the White House make the calls. Here he is. Everything I do during this, I'm coordinating with White House counsel. There will be no difference between the president's position and our position as to uh, how to handle this uh, to the extent that we can. We're, we don't have the kind of ball control on this that a typical issue, for example, comes over for the House. If, if, if I don't like it, we don't take it up. We have no choice but to take it up, but we'll be working through this process, hopefully in a fairly short period of time, in total coordination uh, with the White House Counsel's Office and the people who are representing the President in the well of the Senate. So I'll do whatever Donald Trump wants. I mean, that's the Republican Party right now. I think he just summed it up. It- Really depends on, on under the Constitution. The role of the Senate is supposed to be a little more. That is true. Uh, the Republican Party is Donald Trump's Republican Party right now, and Mitch McConnell understands that. Um, that doesn't mean that he's not trying to uh, kind of insert his own agenda into other Senate races at the moment. There's a reason why uh, Collins is not going to be the appointed senator in in Georgia. Um, so, I mean, Mitch McConnell has his eye, I think, on the bigger game, but, I mean, going against the president at this point is not going to help any of their Republican senators. We still have a primary process to go through. There, there's also, um, there's a, speaking of theater, I mean, Mitch McConnell, this this is really, yes, he, he has to say this because he says these things on Fox News and he knows that, you know, the most hardcore in the Republican Party still are a little wary of him. Um, and... But he is, he's really working more with Chuck Schumer uh, and his own, you know, sort of leadership structure in the Senate. They know that they don't want, that if they call Hunter Biden, uh, then the Democrats are going to want to call Rudy Giuliani. And, and so he wants to avoid this spectacle. 
And he's really basically pushing back. He has pushed back a lot about, uh, from the White House and, and, and really trying to save Trump from himself, which he's gotten pretty good at over the last few years. So this is, so, a, this is a little theater, I think. So this is yeah. a little backstory yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, that Mitch McConnell is going to be negotiating how this trial is going to reach out with Chuck Schumer because they still need to get 51 votes to do anything uh, on the floor. But maybe we bury the lead there, Pema, in a sense, because in that same, in that quote, McConnell says, you know, um, the way I operate, if I don't like something, I don't take it up. I mean, he, he admits, basically, right? It's one Cocaine man. Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... <laughs> or or uh, Grim Reaper. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I mean, look, in, in, when it comes to impeachment, I mean, I think, you know, we've all learned a little bit more about this, you know, rarely used, you know, part of the Constitution in the last uh, few weeks than we had uh, since the 90s, I guess. Uh, but look, on it, when it, you know, the Senate has to hold a trial. And beyond that, the Senate can kind of do what it wants. You know, and it, the Constitution is not super specific about exactly how the Senate trial plays out and, you know, who aligns with who and who talks to who. It's really just, you know, there's Supreme Court precedent about this. You know, once it's in the Senate's hands, they do what they want. And as you just pointed out, like, that's kind of Mitch McConnell's thing, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. that's it. You're like, no, no, oh, no. you want a Supreme Court seat? No, thank you. Like, right. that's just his thing. Okay, but this is the, the head of the Senate saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to work this totally out with the White House counsel. That's how we're going to decide how this thing goes forward. Which, I mean, isn't that close to jury tampering? I have to tell you. So uh, a couple of podcasts ago, I interviewed Greg Craig, who was White House counsel in the White House counsel's office when Bill Clinton was being impeached. And they discovered that Bill Clinton was calling up senators, Democratic senators. And they went to him and said, you can't do this. You gotta stop. This is jury tampering. You can't be talking to these senators. You're on trial, dude, right? Yeah, and and well, it, that, it shows that's how, out the window. Yeah, it shows how different the 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 you know politics is. I mean, politics was plenty polarized during the Clinton impeachment, but I mean, it, it really does show that. I mean, a lot of Republican senators, you know, have basically said, you know, I'm 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 not going to vote to remove the president. So. I mean, they're just, they're kind of throwing up. And they and they hide behind it by saying, well, this is a political process, not a legal process, even though they wanted it to be a legal process, you know, with in, in terms of, like, the president, you know, defending himself in, in the House. So it, it's just, it it is really, it, it's a solipsistic sort of, like, way of getting around things. And it's, I think this is, again, this is why people don't like Congress. So can we expect, <laughs> can we expect a... Fair trial in the Senate under the current leadership? I'd be surprised. <laughs> I don't there think that the purpose of this trial at this point is to be a fair trial. I don't think for Democrats or Republicans, the, I mean, removal just seems like such a far-fetched idea right now. For Democrats, the goal is to get vulnerable Republicans on the record saying that they support keeping the president in office. Okay. Okay. For Republicans, it's showing that they are full-throated supporters of their president before primary. Okay, so related to all of this, um, this week, we've heard for a long time, of course, from the beginning, uh, President Trump was calling the Mueller, Mueller investigation, the witch hunt, the partisan witch hunt, FBI, just because the Trump haters within the FBI started this whole thing, and we're going to prove it when we have this report come out. Well, the report, at least one of them, came out this week, not the extra one that Donald Trump started <laughs> because he wanted a backup. But the uh, uh, Inspector General's report, Michael Horowitz, a couple of years came out this week and said, no, there was good reason why the FBI was looking into the Trump campaign. 
and they did not spy on the Trump campaign, and there was no political bias. And what's the impact of that report? Lost in the wind. <laughs> I feel like a lot of That's, this week's news has yeah. been lost in the wind. That's not impeachment. I mean, yeah. this is not a... But, and, if, and he did say the FBI screwed up when they went to FISA court. I mean, they didn't do everything perfectly, what government agency does. But the lead was, I mean, he repudiated everything Donald Trump and Bill Barr have said about the FBI investigation. Yeah. David Korn, Mother Jones, wrote a great piece about this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that this report is really important. I think it might be one of those reports that we look back on in six months or a year, 10 years or 50 and, and sort of go, oh, that was, that was important. <laughs> um, but it came the week of impeachment. And there's like, there's all sorts of news this week that would be a week's worth of headlines I in know. and of itself. We'll, we'll try to get right, to some I of it. You a got a lot bit. of chicken scratch <laughs> over there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but I, I think that this is really important. And I think that, you know, I think even, you know, as reporters, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to like, go change the world with every story I write, but I do hope that I am creating a factual record um, of what happened. And I think maybe the best way to look at this, you know, is is a report that, you know, is sober. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a perfect report, but this is the neutral arbiter, um, you know, saying what happened. And this is, there's going to be partisan fights over this. And, you know, Bill Barr is going to, there's going to be a report that Bill Barr has worked on and endorsed. Um, coming out at some point and so i think that this will be an important benchmark and you know i don't think it's the last of it even though it didn't really get its full due and leah donald trump's response was this was even worse this report was even worse than i thought this should never ever happen to any american at all right right that, what did someone tell the truth <laughs> <laughs> i think it's the fact that it didn't gain traction just shows how little faith trump supporters have in america's institutions anyway this was not going to change their mind because they don't trust the source it's coming from. So in the end, does that really change their opinion about Donald Trump and corruption? No. The, the image that to me speaks to what, what happened with this is that on Fox News, Chris Wallace was talking about the report saying the headline here is FBI completely justified in starting investigation. The chyron was numerous mistakes in FISA report. And, and, and that yeah. was, I mean, even the yep. Fox News people know, they know their audience and they, you know, there are probably plenty of people know that they just watch TV without the sound on. Mm -hmm. And and it's just, it, it is, um, it, it's pretty stunning. I mean, this, you know, this was a two year long project for, for Horowitz. He interviewed right. like 200 people or something like that. It's exhaustive. And he said, yeah, people's made some mistakes, but in, in general, like when when you think that there's a foreign intelligence service colluding and and, can, and and trying to influence a campaign and possibly coordinating with members of the campaign, which they were, Paul Manafort, these type of people who are now in prison, like you you're justified in, in investigating it. Right. Yeah, I also so, think, so, so oh. let me just break in if I can because um, there's some of those stories that you mentioned that might have gotten a lot of attention uh, this week. Were it not for impeachment, we'll try to get to some of those after a, a quick break here. Uh, with um, Pema Levy and Leah Scarinam and Jason Dick here on today's podcast roundtable.
Today's roundtable brought to you by the members of the Smart Union, sheet metal, air, rail, and transportation workers. One of the most dynamic and diverse unions in the country, representing 203,000 members in the transportation field, uh, bus operators, engineers, conductors, and also in the sheet metal field of uh, welders and sheet metal workers. Under the leadership of President Joseph Sellers, we salute the members of the Smart Union, thank them for their support of the podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. Dot Georgetown dot edu slash podcast. Jason Dick here from Roll Call, Pamela Levy from Mother Jones, and Leah Scaranam from Hotline with the National Journal. Uh, well, where do we start? Let's start with 2020. Michael Bloomberg. What was it? I don't know. Five hundred million dollars so far. He's spent. I, I lose track every <laughs> not, day. Not, not quite that much, but uh, but yeah. it, it's. I mean, certainly on track. Right? Uh, and yet he's not going to be on stage in the debate this week. May never make any one of the debates. Um, but Andrew Yang will be there. Andrew Yang, <laughs> America, will be there. like you will hear from a guy not wearing a tie. So <laughs> Bloomberg, all for nothing, Leah, or I what do you think? He's not on the ballot. I mean, <laughs> forget, I feel like everyone's focused on the fact that he's not on the debate stage. He is not on the ballot in the early states. Um, I mean, how do you win that way? He has a plan, theoretically, um, with some of the later states. But I mean, it is a tough path to victory that I am having a real hard time imagining at this point. But you cannot turn the television on without seeing three Michael Bloomberg ads in five minutes. It's true. So, yeah. Well, I mean, he's spending he, he, tons of money. And not only is he spending money on his own presidential campaign, he's spending money on voter turnout, on vulnerable House Democrats who are getting attacked by Republicans on impeachment. I mean, even though it looks like he's going to be limited with his PAC spending this time because he's running for president, uh, it looks like he's still trying to spend on behalf of Democrats beyond the presidential ballot right now. Uh, the act, most of the uh, back and forth in the, in the primary this week was between Earl, uh, Elizabeth Warren, not Earl Warren, Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> and Pete Buttigieg. So Elizabeth Warren says, "Yeah, I want to know who your consulting candidates were." And Pete Buttigieg, "Yeah, I want to know how much money you made when you were a, an attorney in private practice." How about where did this get us? Isn't this kind of really silly? I mean, I think you know this is this is the. The final months, right? I mean, this is, you know, where it gets real. Um, and, you know, the polls show that these two candidates are kind of fighting over the same pool of voters. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, I, I think 
on some level, you know, Elizabeth Warren wanted to stay above the fray. I think that's where she enjoys hanging out. Uh, and I think, you know, Pete Buttigieg um, knew that he had to break in. He has broken in. Um, you know, her numbers have come down. His numbers have gone up. And so now she's realizing, okay, I've got to come back at, at him here. I, yeah, I mean, both of these theme, things seem like pretty small potatoes, <laughs> really, ultimately, when you're trying to evaluate a, a candidate here. Um, we are not exactly getting at the core of these people with, with these, uh, you know, well, you know, what about what you made in the 90s? Well, what about what you made when you were 22? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. So know. he released his clients and his clients included Blue Shield, Blue Cross, the EPA, the Natural Resources Defense Council. I mean, hardly enemies of the people. Right. And then she said, well, yeah, I made one point nine million dollars over 30 years. I figured out that's sixty three thousand dollars a year. I mean, not a not BFD. A, yeah, not 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 a ton. And and you know, as, as Pam was saying, it's like, is this what are we learning about them? I mean, like we we knew that he, you know, worked for McKinsey. Uh, we knew that she was an attorney before she was a, a law professor. Um, so what? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, no, I mean, it, it, it just and and you're right. Two million dollars over a thirty year period of time is like, I mean, that's. It, if if anything, it helps make her argument that like people aren't paid enough. Like if if even like a high priced attorney is making like low money, like what like, that's okay. like low wages. Okay, now maybe I'm wrong. I want I'd love to get all, all three of you to comment on this. It seems to me, with Kamala dropping out, these two bickering back and forth, that the person who's helped the most out of all of this is Joe Biden. Do you yes. agree? Yeah, I think so. And uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, is being helped. Up bunch by this too i feel like he's just kind of sailing into second place in a lot of these polls and uh he's being discounted because of whatever perceptions about bernie sanders but he's going pretty unscathed right now while pete Buttigieg and elizabeth warren are attacking one another it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to see if that continues on the debate stage but joe biden is I think part of the reason why Joe Biden is sailing through, though, is just because no attacks on him are working. No attacks on him will work. Everyone knows who Joe Biden is. Uh, the uh, point that the other candidates need to make is that they are a better alternative. As former Democratic chair of the state of California, I was interested to see this week there were 15 state officials who formerly supported Kamala Harris who came out this week for Joe Biden. I mean, it... it, it at this point, I mean, if you're if you're somebody who's just thinking like, how can we not screw this up? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's I mean, he is you know the the safe choice. I mean, like there were I think a number of people who were comparing him to Hillary Clinton in 2016 and to Mitt Romney in 2012. That this is you know this is like something that it you know is a known quantity. And whether that'll be enough, I mean, who knows? So, uh, Pema, the uh Fifth, maybe or sixth, whatever debate of the, this is probably Thursday, uh, December nineteen, with uh, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Tom Steyer, and Andrew Yang. So there will be a little diversity there, but no Kamala Harris, no Cory Booker, no Julian Castro. What do you expect? This it? Is this the field? Yeah, um, yeah I'm not gonna one hundred percent. Right off, I mean, you are already like, look, you like you named people that are polling at like three percent and people that are polling at like you know twenty five percent. So like, right. it's not like 
you know, and then, you know, we were missing people polling at like 2.5%. So it's not like there's some hard cutoff, right? And that like, we're gonna, we should really count Yang, but like not Booker here. Um, but I mean, yeah, the field is narrowing. Um, and I, I think, you know, it, I don't know, p partly it's just sort of like, you know, it, it, things happen when people vote. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just kind of like, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for that. And I think it's going to be really interesting because I think that, you know, barring something big happening, we might go into Iowa really not knowing what's what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think that, you know, this hasn't been like a, no one has really run away. You know, Biden came in on top and kind of stayed there, but like sort of precariously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's he's not expected to do super well in the um, in Iowa and, and New Hampshire, although he could. And so, you know, I, I kind of think this is a really open race Still. and it, it probably will be for the next two months. And, and I right. think to, to, you know, to, you know, the, the, the little bickering we've seen now that might look like a uh, child's play, um, <laughs> to, you know, to two months from up, now, if that's right. the case. Yeah. Uh, at the risk of, um, extending too long, there are two other topics that I, I think compelled to touch on. One is a blockbuster report in the Washington post this week on the war in Afghanistan, uh, 18 years now, $2 trillion. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's sort of like the Pentagon Papers, the Washington Post reporting. Excellent job. That and, and they have made that connection, too, calling them the Afghanistan Papers. Is that so, right? Yeah. yeah so, that, that, I mean, that's the name of the series. So they're very consciously and, linking and, and that And they show that leader after leader of the military said, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We didn't know why we were there. We didn't have a plan. Basically, it's Vietnam deja vu. Right? Except we've been there longer now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, this is the longest, longest military conflict uh, in American history. Yeah. So. Of all the things that didn't really break through this week, that was the most shocking to right. me. Um, it just seems like I mean, it was such a thorough report. Uh, I wonder if it's because, you know, it's telling us something that maybe people, I mean, the war in Iraq is very unpopular now, so it's probably not changing anyone's minds. But I was just surprised that such a well-researched report did not end up on the front. I mean, it, sh it should be what everyone was talking about. And we're still there. And <laughs> yes. Emma, it doesn't, I mean, Donald Trump, Barack Obama both said we're going to bring the troops home. They, neither one has. Donald Trump just sent more people there to Afghanistan. So we're still there, and it doesn't look like we're about to get out. Yeah, I mean... Uh, like <laughs> unbelievable it, i mean if you try to read i mean there's like you know re, you have to rewind like 50 tapes to go back like a month or something but you know it was right <laughs> around 9 11 where there was supposed to be some big deal um you know between the taliban and the u.s and everyone was sort of on board and everyone's going to sign this important agreement and we were going to start to finally draw down troops and then trump had like a fit on twitter and and ended it and and now we're sending more troops in and so you know i think that look this is a failure of a lot of administrations um but i do think that there is evidence that we came pretty close to starting to move in the right direction and then we just you know tore it up um i think that there's are some some talks that, that you know that people are trying to like revive that um uh, and so hopefully it's that all of those negotiations weren't for naught but yeah i mean you know it's like for one stupid reason to another. And I, and I, I can't help but think too, Bill, that it, part of the reason is that m most everyday life is divorced from this. I mean, we, oh. the number of people who serve in the military oh, and have been right. in a combat zone is, is 
is incredibly small percentage compared to the general population. People are not being killed at the same way because of medical, you know, advances. So, so there are a lot of survivors. I mean, you know, Vietnam, 56,000 Americans were killed. I mean, we're not even, we're not even near anywhere near that number in Afghanistan, uh, because, uh, you know, we're, we're better at, at treating injuries, but it's just out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, everybody should go back and take a look at that Washington uh, Post reporting. Hey, great conversation, uh, guys. And before we wrap up, though, we always ask you to come uh, prepared with your favorite story of the week, something that just caught your attention. Um, doesn't have to be one of the stories that we've uh, talked about. Um, who starts first? Femma. Sure. Um, so the, I like to go a little bit zany, but this one, I'm sort of staying on the news. <laughs> we like so. zany. I know. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, oh. Sorry, I teed you oh, up there. I, I thought, oh. you thought I was going zany yeah. and then I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Go zany. Yeah, that was my bad go there. Serious. Go serious. Go wherever um, you <laughs> So, no, I, I used to write a lot more than I do now about voting rights, but that's like a really important issue. Um, and, you know, elections matter. Um, and so yesterday, uh, or maybe it was Wednesday now, the um, new governor who we've already spoke of in uh, Kentucky, Andy Bashir, signed an executive order um, yes. rest restoring voting rights to 140,000 um, former, formerly incarcerated people. Um, and, you know, look, like uh, elections have consequences here. Like he won by what, 5,000 votes? And now this is 140,000 people and, and growing right. who will be able to vote. Now, not they all yep. won't vote. It's not like it's going to change the course of history in Kentucky here. But, um, you know, I think this is something I've been writing about for a while. And we are very slowly, I think, moving in the direction in in states from Florida to Mississippi to Louisiana to Kentucky to Virginia of um, allowing people who, um, you know, have made a mistake at some point to actually participate as full citizens again. Very important story. I, I was reminded of uh, Terry McAuliffe, governor of Virginia, who did the very same thing one at a time. Jason? Yeah, I th this is um, something that sort of again sneaked under the radar in, in terms of where we were going with policy and what and what was happening in the House. The House passed a drug pricing bill uh, that would also expand Medicare to cover dental and vision uh, cool. benefits. I mean, like this this is um, you know, this was it was debated in in the light of day and and uh, the, there were certainly plenty of people who weighed in on it but it sort of went under the radar but this has the potential to really change people's lives oh and hearing aids too it would it would, it would cover yeah. medicare would cover hearing aids so i mean when you when you think about anybody who you know who's on medicare and they struggle sometimes to pay for their glasses or their their dental insurance or hearing aids and so forth the fact that medicare would now start if if this legislation were signed into law or some version of it that this was this would really change the the largest you know consumer of healthcare mm. or the li largest mm -hmm. health insurance program in the country yeah in terms of quality of life, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important. Leah? So I, I mean, it's about politics as okay. well. Sorry, we're just, no. next time I'm going to come with a cat story, I promise. Um, or at least puppy. Uh, no, I was, uh, I really enjoyed Anna Palmer's article about the, looking back at the year of the woman, uh, mostly because it, it interviewed both current and former members, and that included uh, former Florida Congresswoman Ileana ross mm -hmm. who is awesome, candid. <laughs> so in the last couple weeks, we've heard Republican women kind of arguing that you can be a strong conservative and a suburban woman. You saw the 
conservative squad introduce themselves yesterday. <laughs> um, you've seen uh, the new Georgia senator, uh, Senator Leffler, or soon to be Senator Leffler. Not yet, but yes, January. Um, argue that you know you can be a suburban woman who's also a Republican, and it's just all about perception. And then Ileana Ruslanen says on this article, I'm going to quote it. Uh, when I see that the Republicans are going to have a press conference, I kind of get a little nervous because I think, oh no, lots of white guys. Love white guys, but there are a lot of other folks in this great country, which just felt like a moment of <laughs> candor in a week where we needed some candor. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, she's great. Eliana Ross Lightning used to enjoy having her on Crossfire. Well, my favorite story was Time Magazine's Person of the Year <laughs> with Greta Thunberg. I loved it because uh, for two reasons. Number one, she deserved it, uh, I think I believe. And uh, number two, it just drove Donald Trump batshit crazy. Chill, <laughs> um, Bill. Come uh, on. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I'll go watch a movie with a friend. Uh, uh, I'll, work, movie. I'll work on my uh, anger management. But, you know, clearly uh, he wanted to be person of the year, and he was pissed at know that he was not the person of the year this year, and that it went to this teenager he had called a brat earlier. Uh, and as several people pointed out, gee, we thought teenagers were uh, out of bounds, right? You can't comment about Barron, but boy, you can slam Greta Thunberg. It's just it's a, a moment at any rate. So, uh, great conversation, guys. Thank you so much um, for being here, and happy holidays. Last roundtable of the year. Wow. But we'll have a lot to talk about early in 2020. Uh, Leah Scaranon, Pema Levy, and Jason Dick. Thank you all. Uh, let me wrap up with uh, a parting shot. My parting shot for the day, my comments only, not necessarily the opinions of the panel, but it does look like the House is going to impeach Donald Trump, and they should, in my judgment. There's no doubt he abused his power by inviting a foreign government to intervene in the 2020 election to help his own political campaign for re-election. But Democrats should not stop there. Donald Trump's not the only one to abuse his power. So has Attorney General William Barr in many ways. Barr has turned the once proud and independent Justice Department into little more than an arm of the Trump re-election campaign. This week, for example, he totally misrepresented the report of uh, the DOJ Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, when Horowitz said there was no political bias in the FBI, that there was sound evidence for the FBI to launch its investigation of candidate Trump, Barr said he disagreed and once again accused the FBI of spying on the Trump campaign, which remembers the same thing he did with the Mueller report, claiming it found no evidence of obstruction of justice by Donald Trump when in fact the report detailed 10 different instances where Trump at least tried to obstruct justice. Time and time again, Barr has proven he doesn't view his job as chief law enforcement official for the American people, but as chief toady and suck-up to Donald Trump. The Constitution is clear, by the way. The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States can be impeached for abuse of power. That includes members of the president's cabinet. So it's not enough for the House to impeach Donald Trump. They ought to impeach Bill Barr, too. My parting shout for the day. Thanks again to uh, all the members of our panel. Thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, let me ask you one more time. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the uh, Bill Press Pod. 
It's easy. It's free. You know how to do it. Just go to wherever you go for your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in. Search for the Bill Press Pod. You'll see the word subscribe. Click on subscribe, and you are in. And we also encourage you to follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. And that way you'll get advance notice of every new podcast and won't miss a single one. That's it for now. Thanks again to the panel. And thank to all of you for listening. Happy, happy holidays. We'll see you again with the next podcast, the next roundtable, early in 2020 on the Bill Press Pod.